You know, the other day I uh, like had a couple of pieces of wood. Yeah. And then I put like some of the fire starter under it. Uh-huh. And then it was lit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You got to stay woke when, when something's I lit. I know. You got to stay. Yeah. You have to stay woke for it because then yeah. like it might catch on fire yeah. and then your whole house. Then you got to yell to the fam. Stay woke, fam. Stay woke, fam. Let's go. Let's go. Alrighty, you know what time it is. Time for another train wreck. Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, a weekly podcast about what two knucklehead pastors in New Mexico are learning in the trenches of church revitalization. I'm Matt Hensley, the pastor of May Hill Baptist and managing editor for Lifeway Pastors. And I'm Kyle Bierman, pastor of First Baptist Church in Alamogordo and director of Replanter Development for the North American Mission Board. We bring a combined 31 years of ministry experience to the table, and we still mess up time and time again. And you could say that we're experts at what not to do, but before we dive in, allow us a moment to tell you that we are the official podcast of the Word of God. We're grateful for our sponsorship by the Christian Standard Bible, and we love it, and we encourage you to check it out for its blend of readability and accuracy, and encourage you to check it out at csbible.com after the show. I think I got it right that I think you did. I think I got it right. But as millennials, uh, we knew that at some point this was going to happen. That's right. Uh, I, I finally caved in and put on my flannel uh, shirt, my skinny jeans. I even got a latte here in my hand. Uh, why, why is that? Do, what do are we talking about button, today? Button, oh, oh yeah. I got my top go. button. Okay. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> got my converse. Yes. Is that yeah. a thing? <laughs> That's true. Sure. I'm a terrible <laughs> millennial. <laughs> well, what are we talking about today? Um, today we are talking about, uh, millennials and, uh, we are excited today to have with us Grant Skeldon, um, who has recently written a book on, on millennials and, and how to minister to them. And he's going to tell us all about it. Um, so let's start off, Grant, by just telling us a little bit about yourself, your family, and then whether or not you are pro or anti-candy corn. <laughs> uh, anti-candy corn. Uh, oh. Yes, <laughs> yes. Good. Thank you. I'm out. That, Correct. That's a good time. <laughs> yeah, let's let's Go start with the most important topic. Uh, it's just too consistent um, would be one reason. But then two, uh, my, uh, my name is Grant Skeldon. I'm from Dallas, Texas. So uh, I am in Atlanta right now, uh, hanging out with you guys. But then uh, I run a ministry called Initiative Network, which basically trains millennials that are impacting culture. And it also unites them. They're from 50 different churches. And so a huge heart for racial reconciliation and uh, reconciliation even around different church leaders. And the other thing I do while I'm on the podcast and even with the book, uh, what kind of got birthed out of the ministry is uh, training seasoned leaders, older leaders, um, those who are chronologically superior to us um, in how to understand the millennial generation. Hmm. Uh, and so usually pastors that are trying to reach millennials, parents that are trying to raise millennials, and even lately some business leaders that are just trying to figure out um, how to retain millennials yeah. uh, since they're job hopping so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, all right. So, so as the largest living generation, um, millennials are, are one of the most studied and, and yet one of the most misunderstood groups of our day. And it seems like there's been a ton of research that's been yeah. done in the last, you know, 10, 15 years on, on millennials. And yet 
um, not a whole lot of, of results on that. And so uh, grants, you're, you're trying to change that uh, with your book, The Passion Generation. And so tell us what you mean by when, when you say they're the most studied and yet misunderstood generation. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's just, I just feel like, uh, I mean, I'm in the circles a lot, but I don't, I feel like the pulse is pretty, I mean, people are so frustrated or uh, sad or desperate or just don't understand millennials is it's so i'm just like man there's probably never been a generation at least the last hundred years has been studied as much uh, but one of my key questions is always well who did all the research on the millennials and who's talking on behalf of millennials are they actually millennials um i i just i'm shocked that all, most of the content on millennials is not by millennials um it would be like uh are you, you guys are both married i'm assuming yes um, okay it would be like uh, if I asked your wives, would you guys be proud of presenting a book to all men across the world saying we got a 50 very, very smart men together to write a book on what women want and what women need? Uh, but there's not one woman that's speaking into the studies and the research at all. It's just men. I don't think your wives would be like, yeah, I think that's going to be a real credible resource. Yeah, that's already on the Christmas list. There, <laughs> yeah, Matt, Matt's guide to marriage. Yeah, that's Matt, it. That's, <laughs> it's my guide. It's it's basically like a thousand pages of blank. Uh, like this is what I figured out about women. Uh, yeah, but uh, you know, and that's one of the reasons that I I kind of opened up this thing with the skinny jeans and the latte and all of that kind of stuff. And and the, I what what I like to say often is is one of the first things you can do in terms of reaching millennials and is maybe not. Um, ostracizing them and putting them down all the time. Yeah, that's probably that would, that step would be one. A good place to start. I, I would believe that's towards <laughs> the top. I don't know what you think about that, uh, but but in line of of that, you know, they they have a reputation. Again, this is from like the outside Absolutely. looking in of a being lazy. Uh, why why do you, why do you say most generations uh, uh, have have that label? Why why do you think that is? Uh, I think that I personally think if you look at different studies it sounds like young singles have always been kind of labeled as lazy uh there's there's articles in time magazine from uh talking about xers and it says that they're they're lazy and they want to hike the himalayas and it said they want to just watch tv and uh, it said zap the tv dial uh there's, there's studies on i remember it was time magazine there was one in life uh magazine on boomers as well but it's it seems like the older generation, as technology changes, culture shifts a little bit, uh, the older generation always kind of views the young singles and those coming out of college as uh, with a different work ethic, different priorities and hobbies. I will say culture has massively shifted uh, a lot in the millennial generation. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't personally think like millennials are far, far lazier. I do think uh, they're probably, I'll give it to uh, people that I do think they could be more selfish in the sense that um, I am curious to see what will happen with the millennial generation as they've uh, remained single for so much longer. I mean, including myself, I'm 28. I'm not married. I don't have kids. Uh, but that's allowed me to go maybe if the average person got married around 20 years old, let's say, that's allowed me to go eight more years, maybe 10 more years without considering someone else to the degree that you guys consider your wife or your kids, which forces maturity, sanctification, uh, Matt Chandler, a pastor in Dallas, says uh, that marriage is the left lane of sanctification. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a that's about a decade longer for for some young people, uh, entire generation of considering self for ten more years. And so um, I just yeah I think 
with that comes a lot of luxuries that you get when you're single. You get to do whatever you want, whenever you want, kind of, to a degree. Uh, certainly before it, kids come along. Yeah. Like, <laughs> my, all, of, all of my free time is gone. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, yeah, married. When my friends get married, I'm like, okay, they're, they're probably going to disappear uh, yeah. a little bit. But when they have kids, I'm like, okay, I'm joking. I sometimes think, okay, unfollow them from Instagram because it's no longer their Instagram. I'm just going to see their child yeah. every day. It's, it's Kidstagram. Uh, it it yeah, absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. It changes. It's better than so. Catstagram or Dogstagram. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, uh, okay, I'll give you that. That's true. Or, or Breakfastagram. <laughs> I've had a waffle every day for like 2,100 uh, 100 days or so. And, uh, and so I post a picture every single morning. No, you don't. Waffle. So I, I can't, I can't say any. I absolutely do. Um, Grant, I will, I will vouch <laughs> that he absolutely does. One hundred percent. Yeah, every day. I, I was trying to get in the Guinness Book of World Records, and so that didn't happen. So I've just created my own, like the Budweiser World Records. Like I don't know if it exists, but it's just I've created it myself, and I'm the chief <laughs> waffle street king of the world. Oh, there you go. That's, there that's the title. See, that's that's the millennial creativity right there. <laughs> So, no, don't blame the millennials for that one. They yeah. don't deserve that. Yeah, don't, 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 do put that. That. <laughs> don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Uh, the passion generation, you say uh, millennials prioritize our passion, our purpose above provision. Why is it important for different generations to seek to understand one another? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that I always want to say that it's not it's not a it's not a huge shock that this generation is pursuing uh, jobs and majors and just life decisions based off passion more than provision. Uh, I don't. F- I feel like people can generally see that. Fifty-two uh, percent of young people, according to like Business Journal, so not Christians, just young people in general, would take a drastic pay cut in order to have a job at work that made a difference. And so they would take a massive pay cut to do that. Uh, so it's generally this generation wants to do something that makes a difference more than make money. Um, or not that they don't care about it at all. It's just it is more important. However, um, I always like to acknowledge we have the luxury and the privilege to make those kind of decisions because the generation before us, and especially our grandparents' generation, made major sacrifices in provision. Like they're, my, my grandparents' generation is definitely the generation that took one or two, maybe three jobs for a lifetime and just was faithful to that and set us up with the foundation to not just consider provision, but also our passion and our purpose. Uh, but what I, I think the tension is, uh, I don't know, it's interesting because it seems like our grandparents and our parents made hard decisions to put food on the table, provide basically a quote unquote, a better life for the next, for their kids. But now after doing that for a while, we've seen the fruit of that. And one of the, one of the parts of the fruit of that is that, yeah, we don't have to just take a job that we don't enjoy and maybe even hate, which I think a lot of millennials saw their parents do. Uh, but we can take a job that we we ch- hopefully do enjoy, and not fully 100% of the time. I don't think there's any job like that. But it is fulfilling as well. And we come home, and we're not just trying to escape work at night or escape work on the weekend. It's actually something that gives us life and we're potentially excited to go to on Monday morning. Uh, however, I think the tension is, uh, there's still that mindset of you got to just do whatever it takes and take this kind of job because it pays well. I often ask young people, uh, when was the last, don't you sometimes feel like your parents wouldn't care what you do as long as it falls somewhere in the line of being a lawyer, a doctor, an architect, something like that. Um, they just want you to, if you said, I want to do one of those types of jobs, 
I feel like most parents in America would be very excited about that because they know it makes good money. But if you said I wanted to be a nonprofit leader, an artist, a dancer, something that's like, oh, I'm not sure if that's going to work out, uh, that kind of can put some fear in them. Even sometimes if God seems to be calling you to do that, uh, it, there's a tension there. And, and even, you know, there's, we're, we're blessed in the churches that we serve and, and, and the ministries that we have, but, uh, I, I was going to pursue a music degree so that I could be a college professor, music college professor. And, and mom was super supportive of that. And, and ultimately sure. came around to my calling, uh, to the ministry, but it took a while, uh, because it went from one where, you know, there's thousands of, of colleges across this country, you're going to be able to find a, a good paying job or, or whatever as, as far as ministry, knowing kind of what is there. Uh, and it's certainly starting out as part-time and so forth. You're never going to be able to support a family. That was usually the conversations we had. Right. And then, you know, my dad, uh, he retires um, from a job and, and ended up getting like the greatest job of all time. Uh, is he, he was the courtesy car driver for a dealership and it was awesome. He got there in the morning, made coffee, and it would take a few people home. He was an extremely overpaid Uber driver and <laughs> wow. people would give him tips and he, he loves just visiting with people. Uh, and, and so I, I mentioned to him, you know, I'm looking for work or whatever. So dad, can I get a job there? He said, when you work a job that you hate for 30 years, <laughs> then come and talk to me. <laughs> and so when, when you said that about the fact that, you know, uh, that older generation was working one or two or three jobs, you described my dad in a nutshell. Uh, he worked his, his hindquarters off from morning till night, uh, to provide for us. And, and that was in kind of the single income uh, yeah. era for them for many of those years. And, uh, and he didn't really enjoy work. And so he came home and it was pretty much, we're going to completely unplug from yeah. all of that. And yeah. so that, that's a good call. Uh, I thought that was enlightening. Kyle, yeah. And um, you know, uh, if you're familiar with the book, um, halftime by Bob Buford, uh, it, it almost sold nearly a million copies and it really hit home with Christian business leaders, um, and Christians in the marketplace. And the whole concept, the whole, the, even the subtitle is moving from success to significance. And this this book was kind of like halftime of you had like a midlife crisis, then a whole generation really connected, again, Christians in America predominantly, uh, that they kind of came, the premise is you come to the end of your life and you've, you've worked this job for a long time and you've had a lot of success and you're, you're way better off than when you started and you've provided your, your family with some uh, great foundation. However, you're just kind of like, man, is, is this it? Like, is this what I worked so hard for? Was it really worth it? Uh, if I could go back, would I do something different? And his question is, how do you move from all the success you have to significance? Mm -hmm. And when I read that, um, I was like, man, I think our, the millennials, by and large, got to see their parents have that epiphany um, in their 40s, 50s, or 60s, and are now like, I don't want to figure that out decades later. I want to move from success to significance now. And I definitely don't want to go and work a job that I never am happy about and do that for years. Like we got to see our parents. And so uh, if it was a midlife crisis, I would say, yeah, a lot of millennials are having more of a quarter life crisis or as my Paul, uh, my friend Paul Stone calls it uh, a quarter life calling is what we're trying to engage and help millennials figure out. Cause the irony is they definitely know they want significance. I will say millennials struggle so much with figuring out what is that exactly. And I think that comes from the lack of discipleship 
and investment from the older generation and on young people's end, the lack of intentionality to be around older people, not just young people. Yeah. Um, well, in your book, you talk about discipleship a, a lot. Yeah. Um, so, so what is your hope for church leaders to take away uh, from reading The Passion Generation? Uh, to make discipleship a normal thing to expect from Christians. Okay. Awesome. Hey, Short and to the man, point. I like it. it a lot. Love it. And uh, and and one of my favorite. We we were given a couple of questions to to consider asking you. And 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 when I was reading it, I was just reminded of a conversation that I had this morning with my daughters. I take them out to eat on a Monday. Uh, they they don't have school, and so we have a weekly daddy daughter date uh, with all of them. And, and so we go out. And uh, they, they were talking about their, their plans. Today, we were talking about what they, they want to do when they grow up. And we still have one that wants to be a mermaid, and she is dead set on being a mermaid. That's how she's going to make a, a difference in the world, I guess. And the rest are like veterans and dentists and all of that kind of stuff. Veterans, <laughs> veterinarians, <laughs> and, and de dentists and so forth. And so we've got you know a wide range there. And so we're talking about it. I said, well, I, I'm okay with whatever you guys want to do uh, as, as long as you're going to try hard, do your thing, and that you move out the day that you come home from high school graduation. <laughs> All of your stuff is going to be packed and ready to, to go. And so we, I was saying that as a joke, but then I read uh, the deal here that in your book, you share the story about your dad refusing to let you move back home after you dropped out of college. Uh, and so you, you, you know, the, the, the idea there is like tough love, you know, so, so there is yeah. precedent for there, what there you is want to do. I'm going to say, Hey, I've got this buddy. His name's Grant. If you've got a problem with this idea, you need to just go talk to him, take it up with him. And is that so, yeah. so tell us what, what's your advice on parents when it comes to uh, tough love? Yeah, so it's kind of two angles that I talk to parents and saying, sometimes I feel like you guys are so focused on us making money um, that you guys and you're trying to like make sure we take these jobs that like make good money. And, uh, and this is my own intention is I, I felt called to start a nonprofit and my dad being an accountant, uh, and he's not really a strong believer, if a believer at all, honestly, uh, wasn't a big fan of me doing that. And I it makes sense, uh, logically. Uh, from wanting to do more marketplace stuff to now wanting to do nonprofit when I became a Christian. Uh, he was really hoping it was a fad or a phase I was going to go through. But he, uh, yeah, once I decided to drop out, he really wasn't a big fan of that either. And so uh, basically, my dad's also from South Africa, so he's very culturally different than most American fathers. And basically, I'm coming home. I'm sitting home with my mom uh, about 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock when my dad comes home. He sees me home he's like hey what are you doing here and i'm just like hey i'm just gonna stay here for a little while till i find a job and uh he's like no you're not and he takes <laughs> my stuff and he just puts it in the front yard and he's not shouting at me but eventually i'm like dad what are you doing like why are you taking my stuff and he just wouldn't talk he just kept walking put my stuff out and I'm like dad seriously like talk to me and he just finally after everything's in that front yard he just said you're not you can't drop out of college and just think you're going to live here like you have to go find a place to stay and you have to go find a job like which at the time I was so frustrated I was like so many of my friends live with their parents so many of them I was just such a big deal I'm not saying forever I don't even want to be here for a long time but I need a place to stay and he yeah he made me I don't know he didn't he didn't follow up the next day and figure out what I was going to do but he he just he it was tough love and at the time I was frustrated with it but now today I think of it as uh, a season that one forced me to really live with the consequences of my decisions Two, it made me really decide very, very wisely and quickly 
what kind of job I was going to get. And at that point, I didn't get the luxury of choosing a job that I was passionate about. I had to choose a job that would provide a roof over my head yeah. and yeah. pay the bills. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, three, I, maybe most importantly, is it forced me to, to rely on the Lord as my father and rely on the Lord just to establish the next steps in my life. Uh, and I remember memorizing Proverbs 3 um, about how God does do that. And um, I don't know his ways. And he's going to like just that he's not going to abandon me. He's there for me. And even like a father who reproves me, just like my father had just done it, he reproves me because he loves me. And uh, those verses, I thought to myself, I, I almost memorized the whole chapter. And I thought uh, later on in life, I thought, man, I wonder if I would have memorized scripture and taken a job. I started working at uh, Papado's, a restaurant, a seafood restaurant down in Dallas and a couple, I'm sure, other places. Um, but I took a job I probably never would have taken. And I relied on the Lord. And basically that season was one of the closest seasons I ever had with God, even though it was a very difficult season. And that just seems to be, if you think about your own life, the seasons where you're like, man, I was in the word regularly. I was journaling. I was like, I was seeing God regularly. They tend to not be the greatest seasons, technically. They tend to be harder ones. Um, and so there's the parents that are, I think, also this mentality of participation trophies, which usually we get made fun of for, but I always, I'm like shocked by that. It's another way where I'm like, you realize like Xers came up with that concept. We were like five years old on a, on a soccer field. Like we didn't come up with a committee saying we demand it. We just received it <laughs> and didn't complain. Um, but that participation trophy is, I think, a, a posture of parenting that I, I appreciate. I think it sounds like boomers were hard on their kids. It was kind of like, you're going to walk through the snow and I don't care. And this is what I had to do. And so I feel like Xers were like, I'm a lot sweeter. They swung the pendulum a lot sweeter, but maybe too sweet, honestly, like too kind. Um, it's, it's, they really save us a lot of times from our problems. And so going back to meeting Jesus in the valley of the shadow of death and the darker places and the difficult times and the places where you don't know what the next step is, if we tend to meet God in the shadow of the valley of death, we'll fear no evil for he is with us. Then in a way, you're kind of saving your kid from the Savior if you save them from the shadow of the valley of death, like if you save them from those difficult times. Um, and so I joke, I wonder how many millennials actually read it this way, where they're like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for mom is with me. Uh, her purse and her second chances, they comfort me. And so we don't, we don't really need God if, God, if, if our parents are always going to step in. And so um, I think that's why, again, we have a generation that, millions of young people that live with their parents and and they don't have to make a quick decision uh i've seen i see this all the time where they are the parents come to me i was like how do i get my kid to get this job uh, to find a job he, he'll he'll never stay at one for a long time or this and that i'm like i don't i'm not sure the context exactly but you may need to like have them see that if you don't do this by this time these are the consequences um yeah. Or, or they're just not, they're going to wait until like that perfect job comes and it almost never comes on the front end. It comes after like yeah. a couple of years of working. Yeah. yeah. And uh, as we prepare to wrap up, tell, tell our listeners how they can uh, get in touch with you, either social media or, or find your book and, and all of that good stuff. We're going to put everything in the show notes too, but why don't you uh, drop it down for them here? Yeah, definitely. And so my website is just my name, grantskeldon.com. And there's S-K-E-L-D-O-N. That's also anything on social media. 
apparently I'm the only Grant Skeldon in the world, thank God. Uh, my South African dad. Yeah. Uh, and so in Twitter and Instagram, it's at Grant Skeldon. Um, yeah, and then the book is called The Passion Generation. And then the subtitle is The Seemingly Reckless, Definitely Disruptive, But Far From Hopeless Millennials. Wonderful. Well, it is time to hop off the train. Until next time, Grant, thank you so much for popping in with us. We are grateful that you took the time to listen in today. And if you haven't, be sure to subscribe on iTunes. And if you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review. And if you didn't, just keep on moving along. You can also visit us online at www.notanotherbaptistpodcast.com or on Twitter at NAB underscore podcast, where you can search for us on Facebook. Facebook under our name. Uh, Kyle, send us out. We'll see if you can do it right. Until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. Have a wonderful day. Have a great day, Grant. We appreciate you very much. Thanks, guys. See y'all.